guys welcome back to the fuel craft survival podcast i'm your host for the ad space austin and today with me is a very special guest for the ad space we'd like to welcome Didi to her first ad space podcast recordings Didi, welcome oh thank you thank you for that big very uh important welcome to the ad space <laughs> it's a big deal okay we yeah. take it very seriously the I, ad space. I know you do i know you do so i'm happy to help happy to lend a hand yeah. lend a voice today yeah, to perfect. to our ad space here at fieldcraft survival podcast you have a voice i would normally tell one of the guys you have a face for radio but you have a voice for radio you have it it's soothing it's You're so sweet yeah, i so. think that i don't know if that's a compliment or if you were just like kind of a backwards compliment i don't know but we'll just jump right into okay. the sponsors all right here yeah, we go so our first one is like usual guys our og sponsorship triarch systems yes and these so that this company is amazing all of the people that I've worked with at Triarch Systems are lovely, lovely people, really salt of the earth and so easy to deal with. Um, they showed up big at our grand opening and I you know, can't wait to do more with them in the future. Yeah, and I mean, that's a big thing and I say this almost every time, but the, one of the biggest things for me with any of the people that we work with is the actual people, not just the product, the product's a byproduct of the people, right? That's where the relationship starts and it's huge. Yeah, and for, for you sure. guys that don't know what Didi does, she's our chief of staff here and, and also fulfills the role of the brand manager along with a ton of other things. So she has those interactions with these companies on a pretty frequent basis to keep us um, in good standing because a lot of us are just too busy that to usually have those conversations. It was in the past a very passive conversation, but now we're able to to sustain a relationship just because of what you do. So uh, you, in a lot of ways, know about these people more than the rest of us. So. Yeah, and, and in some in some senses, I know about the people even more than necessarily I know about the product, but I know yeah. both the people and the product when it comes to Triarch Systems are top of the line. Absolutely, so guys, head over to triarchsystems.com, use code FUELCRAFT, and it'll save you 5% on your next build. And our next sponsor is another one of our OG sponsors and that is Casey Highlights. I just had the privilege of hanging out with those guys a couple weeks back at Easter Jeep Safari. Uh, Ali and the gang over there, again, awesome people. They are, make a great product. Are you allowed to call that work? I don't know. What you did? I mean, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. It feels I like I, I feel like I'm cheating a lot of the times, you know? Like <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting paid to come out here and do stuff like this, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So I love that you um, love what you do and do. you can really tell that you do by um Yeah by what you produce. Oh, so well, thank you. Yeah, Appreciate keep happy. That. So guys, check out Casey Highlights if you don't already have them on your vehicle, on your boat, or whatever. They make something for everything. Um, their Flex Air 4s just went on Mike's LC100, and that build is actually finished now, so we'll be releasing some stuff on that soon. But Casey Highlights has been with us for a long time, and they make some amazing products. And again, like I said, for pretty much anything that you're really wanting them for, if you want to put a Casey Highlight on your dirt bike, you can do that. If you want them on your vehicle, on your boat, uh, whatever, definitely check those guys out. Um, head over to Casey Highlights and use code FIELDCRAFT, and it will save you five. No, ten. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh, dang. Get ten percent. Ten percent. Ten percent. Wow. Ten percent. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Um, so 10%, code FIELDCRAFT, check it out. Check it. Um, so this podcast uh, is actually with me and Kevin Estella, which I haven't done a whole ton of podcasts. I've done a few, but we talked about, and something that we're going to start doing on a regular basis, where Kevin and I talk about just survival of every genre, right? So 
in this one specifically, we talked a little bit about my search and rescue background mm -hmm. and then um, some of the things that I see that are common within search and rescue and what are some things that people could do to better prepare themselves for being in the outdoors and doing recreational activities outdoors um, from that kind of lens and that perspective. And we actually went on to talk about a few other really interesting aspects. It was, it was kind of a fun podcast to do, but um, it's, a, it's a different perspective for people to hopefully view the survival uh, scope through. So awesome. Yeah. So here we go, guys, me and Kevin still about survival. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. So I'm actually on this podcast. I'm not just hosting the ad space today. This is Austin and I'm sitting down with my buddy, good friend and co-teacher, million other things, co-worker, Kevin Estella. What's up, dude? What's going on, Austin? How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Doing real good. Well, I told you I was going to surprise you today. <clears throat> and I, I don't know, some people like surprises. Uh, some people hate surprises. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about this earlier today because I know you got your background in, in search and rescue. And I was thinking about what causes people all the time to get into, into issues. And it's usually when something fails out on the trail, right? Like yeah. uh, they run on a battery power. They don't realize that their compass, uh, they lost all the fluid in the compass. The compass mm -hmm. doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, their boots blow out, whatever it may be. So I want to talk about a concept today that I know we're just going to BS for a while. Um, <laughs> and, and that concept is something, since most of the people that are listening are probably gun guys, gun gals, you know, if you're a gun guy or a gun gal, you probably know what a press check is, right? Press check is going to be used to verify or establish the status of your firearm. Well, we can apply that concept of a press check to a lot of our gear, mm -hmm. right? Many people, when they buy a knife, they will often like take the knife to the back of a fingernail or take the knife to a pen or some of them will just run their, their finger against the, the edge feeling like, oh, it's kind of sharp or it's dull or whatever. So we can apply a press check to that. I know people press check power tools. Oh, right? yeah. The rule is you have to squeeze it twice. <laughs> yep. Right. Any more even than the that. tongs before you cook, you click, click, you got to give two, three test clicks. If you don't do that, you're pretty much a communist. Basically, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, let's talk about that. I want to know, first off, what examples have you seen over the years of people who haven't done that press check to gear and it's gotten them in trouble? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good topic. Hell man. yeah, man. That's um, why I brought it up today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish more people in the public would ask that question, you know, that's, uh, but I guess that's why we're doing the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that a lot of what I've seen and what's very common is uh, mechanical failure. So people take a vehicle and they use it as a false sense of security. Uh, they say, well, I have this tracked vehicle. I have this snow machine. I have this ATV, UTV, four wheeler, whatever or even a car and say, well, now I can get 15, 20, 50 miles into the backcountry and I'm safe because I can get out. Well, what happens when that machine fails mm -hmm. or it breaks? Um, because now you've just carried yourself into the backcountry and you have no way to get out except for the only vehicle you have is your Lamborghinis, you know? And Lamborghinis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that one when I was in the military. It's a pretty good one. But uh, so yeah, it's it, it happens really, really often. And that where people get stuck and can't recover their machines. Um, so when I look at that and I see that commonality, which I would say makes up, I mean, I don't know a true statistic, but if I was just going to guess, I'd say 80 to 90% of the calls. Sounds about right. Um, that's, that's an Asian approved statistic right there. <laughs> you know, 80 to 90% of your calls are because of these things. Well, that tells me that one, a lot of people are purchasing or renting equipment that they know nothing about other than mm -hmm. 
barely how to operate it. They learn just enough to operate it, get it back there, and then they'll get it stuck or it breaks. And then they take no tool kits, no repair kits, and they're not thinking through that, which obviously there's only a certain amount of things you can do in the backcountry, but at least have a solid understanding of how your machine works, whatever it is, snow machine, ATV, uh, you name it. But at least understand how it goes and carry some like common tools, you know, some basic toolkit with maybe even a few of the um, common items that break with you. I mean, it's it's not very uncommon, you know. You know, we're talking right now about the the backcountry, <clears throat> but just a couple of weeks ago, I was out at one of the state parks, and this big heavy set woman. I don't even want to assume she was pregnant, but I'm assuming she was. Very like you know that she wasn't going to be able to walk out if she mm-hmm. needed to. She said, "Hey, do you have any jumper cables?" And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, doesn't everyone carry jumper cables in their car? <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking to myself too, like if that car, like if my car wasn't there, how is she going to get the hell out? Right? Like, yeah. so you think about, there's no cell service back there either. There, exactly. I had no cell service. Um, and this was right off of a main road, mm-hmm. but again, in her physical condition, and I'm not fat shaming, I'm just telling the truth here. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a reformed fat kid myself. So <laughs> you think about this, like, she really would have been stuck um, because she didn't, again, to use the concept, she didn't press check the contents of her car and she didn't travel with someone uh, to, like that was in a, in a car with or a, a second car. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have a battery pack. Mm-hmm. That simple, simple problem that a lot of people have, and I've heard of many people asking for jumper cables, mm-hmm. that could multiply into something so much worse. Um, Very easily. and. A lot of people end up in places that they don't belong with vehicles. Um, uh, I know a lot of the calls that happen here, um, people are taking vehicles in areas that they don't belong. There's a gate up for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, they're saying, hey, no vehicles beyond this point because of that reason. Um, and a lot of people don't think about it like this, but they, they head to the backcountry because they think, well, it's, I'm only a liability to myself. Well, that's not true. Whenever you put yourself in one of those scenarios and it starts at, at least you're at your vehicle and that's one set. But now you have people that want to drive all the way back there and then try to walk out or do all this other thing. You're not thinking about the people that have to come out and get you. And usually we're coming out, we're not going out because it's beautiful out and it's an easy thing. We're going out because no one else can and it's a Mm -hmm. bad scenario, it's usually bad weather. And you're putting all those people at risk. And I mean, you're talking helicopter pilots, you're talking guys on the ground, people, all these guys have to now take time away from their families and do all these things, which I'm not saying that in a complainant manner, but it's like, come on, man, like let's make good decisions, not just for you, but for the people that have to help you after. Yeah. And I think, I think another thing that kind of goes along with that one is you're making these decisions for people. And sometimes they're making horrible decisions on their own. Sometimes people don't realize how quickly a decision can be made uh, by someone else that'll impact them, which could be as simple as, hey, I'm going to let my my friend, my brother, my sister, mm-hmm. father, whoever, borrow something that I have, and then they get it back from them, assuming it's in the same exact condition as yep. it was handed out. And I've seen this on hunting trips where a guy goes to take out his knife and he's like, oh, great, my kid uh, left guts on here and this knife is dull or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, when, before you go out, you need to check every bit of, of gear before you go out. Like, we, we do this on the courses. We do a mm-hmm. big layout. Um, and we got, we got a bunch of courses coming up, but we do a big layout where you lay out all your gear and it's like, okay, let's take a look at your flashlight, your knife, let's take a look at your cordage, is it scored mm-hmm. away? Um, your first aid kit, do you know the expiration dates? Yep. Um, this idea of a press check 
we, we can apply this to so many different aspects of life. And by the way, press checks are free. Yep. Um, that, that's, that's the big, <laughs> big joke, the big expression on shooting lines, right? Like, uh, you know, the two loudest noises in the world are a, a gun that goes click when it should go boom and a gun that goes boom when it should go click. You should mm -hmm. know, right? Take that half second, second to press check your gear and just know, is it going to work as it's, as it's meant to? Absolutely. Right? And I mean, it's, it's not, and I think it's just inconvenient. A lot of people look at it as an inconvenience. It's like, well, I know my stuff. I know this, I know that. Well, that's fine. Then you should just be able to go through it quickly and confirm. All you need to do is, is do a basic layout, you know, facilitate your needs for whatever the trip is that you're doing, or whether it's hunting, just a day backpacking trip or hiking trip, or if you're doing some other type of recreational activity in the backcountry or even in a state park, you know, but take inventory of your gear, know what you're carrying and know its status. It's not something that takes a whole day. It's something that takes you 15 minutes before you head out. And then you know how everything is ready to work for you in case you ever need it. It's, I mean, it, it, I do it to my search and rescue bag probably every two or three days. What's I'll, that bag look like? Oh man, so I have a Kelty Red Wing. Um, I wanna say it's a 40 liter bag. And so inside I have, I have, there is some mandatory equipment based on the season that I have to take per search and rescue. Um, I'll always have um, kind of like worst case scenario gear. Um, so I'll have my med kit, I have a trauma kit in there. I have an IFAC in there, so I have equipment to treat a patient and then I have equipment to treat myself. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't make that deviation there, but I, I want my guys to know, hey, this equipment is for me, this equipment is for a patient. And, and, and I kind of assume that role because of my background in medicine, but um, that's just kind of the way I roll with my med kit. Uh, and then I have like probes. So during the winter, I have certain equipment I have to take. I have to have a uh, transmitter receiver for avalanche beacon. Uh, I have to have a probe, which is just a quick deploy. And it's like a giant tent pole. Mm -hmm. um, it quick deploys, it sticks out, it goes out. I believe it's 25 feet. You can drop it down in the snow to probe. And once you've located that transmitter under the snow, uh, you can poke around and actually find the, um, the victim and then begin to dig. And a snow shovel is a part of that. Um, that'll get attached to a snow machine. <clears throat> it's just kind of a small e-tool style shovel. It's made by Climb. Um, also, I have my GPS. I have a Garmin 680 um, that I carry. I have a, I try to take a map of the area if we have one. Some of the areas that we go to, the maps are really outdated uh, or we don't have one at all. So those are things that I'm trying to kind of give a little push and get a budget for. Um, and improve that system so we can have a map and a compass because unfortunately uh, a GPS can fail. There's, it's just a failure point. And that's something that, that to me is considered life-saving equipment. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the first changes I made for guys is I started re recommending, hey, let's tether off our GPS equipment, right? You need to have some way that even if you drop it or if it flies out of your kit, that it's gonna be retained with your bag or on your belt or on your chest rig. I, I rock a Team Windy chest, chest rig that they issued me. Um, that's where I carry my radio, my GPS, and my beacon transmitter. And so I tethered that off to my vest. So no matter what, even if I drop it, that to me is considered a life, life-saving piece of equipment. Because if I'm, I'm new to this area, uh, sure, I, might, I may have skills to facilitate whatever, but I'm new to the area. And some of these guys have lived here their whole life. And they know every turn and hill and mm -hmm. crevice of this <clears throat> land. But I don't know that yet. So that to me is life-saving equipment. Um, also, I'll carry food and snacks for me and whoever our su uh, subject is, whoever we're going to get. 
uh, and then I carry uh, clothing. I'll have a pair of gaiters that I carry in there in case I don't really need to change in the snow pants. Um, and I just need them for, you know, a few feet of snow. I have an extra coat in there, uh, an Eberle stock coat, like real thick, uh, that'll get me through pretty much any weather I'm going to face this time of year. And I have my search and rescue shell and arcteric shell that goes over that. It's bright red. We wear those specifically in the backcountry, So that way, uh, not only can we see each other, but subjects can see us. It's easy to identify. And then what else do I have in there? I have an extra pair of socks. I take another pair of wool socks and then just kind of my EDC items, knives, fire steel, mm-hmm. my survival kit. I have uh, another pair of gloves in there and a few other items, but mainly my EDC stuff is on me all the time anyway. So I don't consider that part of my search and rescue bag. However, I do have redundancies in there as well. If I, if I need it, like I have another Swiss army knife in there that I carry. It's just great to have. I have a few basic tools that will be in a separate bag that I always make sure that's already at the search and rescue building when I need to pick up a machine. If I have to take a snow machine or an ATV, I do have a toolkit that I can take out with me. By no means do I consider myself an ATV mechanic or a snow machine mechanic. I'm, I'm pretty new to riding a snow machine. Uh, all the guys at SAR, if they're listening to this, are probably laughing at my ability compared to theirs to ride a <laughs> snow machine because they've been doing it their whole life. But uh, you know, I'll be damned if I'm gonna go out and end up just the same as anybody else that ends up out there. I'm gonna give it what I can and you apply my knowledge. You know, it, That's a responsibility I take on every time I have to drive another piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. If I have to learn how to drive whatever, if I have to learn how to drive a tank, then my understanding of taking ownership of that vehicle is, okay, I need to understand some basic maintenance behind this piece of equipment that I can at least get by on. So, and then you know, also I have a slew of training that comes with search and rescue that helps helps me work with those things and my bag can be light my bag can be small i don't have to carry a ton of things because uh, the the best way that i can the best analogy i can use for it is experience makes your pack lighter so when you first get started in the backcountry doing anything you carry everything in the kitchen sink right because you're like right. well i need a little of this i need a little of that well the more experience you have out there doing things you learn oh well, i can get by with this or i don't need that or I've optimized this and now I carry a multi-use tool that covers these three things. So that's just what I've been able to do over the years to optimize my weight and time and size for all that type of stuff. Hey guys, we're going to interrupt this podcast. This show is brought to you by our new sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us take care of our bodies, but 2020 and 2021 have been tough. So we should also think about taking care of our minds. The good news is therapy works. So many people are battling a temper. Their stress is too much to manage. They have depression, anxiety, PTSD, the list goes on. If this is you, you can use therapy to get some tools to make life easier. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fieldcraft Survival listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fieldcraft. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fieldcraft. Now back to the podcast. See, that's a, that's a professional loadout. <clears throat> like I'm listening to explain, this is what I carry. I'm standardizing this. I'm tying down gear. All of those things that you're doing are, are learned from experience. But I want to take a, a step back to something that you just said about borrowing a car and learning or borrowing a vehicle and knowing how to use that vehicle. <clears throat> this press check concept that I'm about to tell you about 
happened to me a couple years ago in the middle of Atlanta. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you the story, this is a no BS story. <clears throat> I'm there with my buddy Travis, I'm there with my buddy Rich, who's like a DC Metro cop, and I'm there with my buddy Alan Odinson. Now, if you guys don't know Alan, he's essentially a modern day barbarian. <laughs> now, we are coming back from a restaurant it's called Fogo de Chao. It's like one of these all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouses. And we are, like, we just ate a whole bunch of red meat. I was seeing how many lamb lollipops, right, the little, <laughs> lamb, ten, little <laughs> lamb chops I could have. And I had a plate going, and they finally said, sir, are you fine? Like, I believe they used the word finally because I was, like, <laughs> making a disgusting mess of myself with, like, a foot high of, of bones. So we just leave this restaurant, and now we're driving, and we hear, I'm like, what the hell is that? So then I'm like, I have a funny feeling. I drove over something and we hear it more. And then we hear, I'm like, great. There it goes. Well, Rich gets out. Remember DC Metro cop. He's got a flashlight. He's, he's like, all right, now I want you to drive. Let's look at all the wheels. And we, uh, we drove over. I should, I say, I drove over this, uh, this bolt that was in the ground and it was about an inch wide. It was wow. massive and it, <laughs> it was in the tire and it basically caused this, this deflation. So I was like, I think I could probably get down to the nearest gas station. So we were like, all right, it's not the sturdiest tire right now, but I bet we could get down there. And then that's where we could change the tire. We're like, we'll have right. lights and everything. Way safer. Way safer, right? Then on the middle of like this road that cars are whizzing by. So we get down there and we get to the gas station. And now I'm looking around this gas station. It's one of these gas stations that has like plexiglass up over the convenience store area of it because yeah. you know that they're getting held up. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, I'm armed. Travis is armed, Rich is armed. Alan is armed with all sorts of stuff. Like he, he makes bows, like he yeah. will, he'll cut you. Yeah. So now we get out and we're like, Okay, they, they established a perimeter. Like, it was amazing, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sitting there like, if I have to get stuck in a car in That's this scenario, the these are the, this is the crew I want. Um, so we go and we're like, well, let's just put on the, the spare. There's no spare tire in the rental car. It's, there's a sign in the rental car that says, if you experience a flat, call this number. Mm. So now I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I've never beforehand, I never was in the habit of checking to see if there's a spare tire, checking to see where the tools are. Mm -hmm. Many of the rental companies now will tell you, call roadside assistance if you need to change your tire because it's more of a liability for Correct. them to let you do it. So now I'm thinking to myself like, man, I never knew that before. And imagine if I was in an area where there wasn't service, mm. right? So that's something that is just a prime example of, you know, I didn't check the, the spare tire. And you're talking about like having uh, knowledge of all the vehicles that you're gonna you're gonna borrow. Well, how many times do you guys borrow someone's car and you say, when was the last time you had an oil change? Uh, is the battery new? Like if it's over five years old, you should probably ask yep. that question because that yep. battery is probably shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's something that we don't do because we trust people when we borrow gear. But there, how long does it take to ask a handful of questions? Yeah. You know. Well, and what's funny is when I first got on search and rescue here, I. Uh, somebody uh, grabbed my pack out of the back of the car uh, after a call and he's like good god dude he's like you got a bunch of stuff in here I was like well I got a few things you know and he's like he's like good gosh like what are you worried about and I was like well with that pack nothing you know and he was like <laughs> yeah. mm. he's like good point you know and I'm like well I mean if if all I have to do is be a little stronger to carry more equipment which and I, my pack isn't heavy 
like we're talking my pack's probably 27-ish pounds, mm-hmm. um, right around there. And that's not counting carrying water. So I'm probably a little over 30. Yeah, they say they say no more than 20% of your body weight. And, uh, well, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, a recovering fatty myself. Yeah, a little, so. little COVID weight. <laughs> we all got it. And uh, But, you know, it, these guys are used to carrying because – the typical call, it can be handled very easily. Mm-hmm. It's usually what we'd call a citizen assist where they're not needing to be found or rescued. They're just needing to be like, hey, I'm in kind of a tight spot here, and it would really help me if I had a couple guys come help. And and that's what we'll do. That's, you know, that's it's the neighborly thing to do. It's how we run things in the county that mm-hmm. we're in. And you can usually get away with next to no equipment. I mean, you could probably go with no backpack and be totally fine. But, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why I work for this company. I right, believe right. in being prepared. I've learned to, I've spent my entire adult life preparing myself and others to do these types of things. And you know, it, it just seems silly to me to not do it. And not everybody's on that same mindset. Not everybody's on that same boat. So uh, that's the little things that I'm trying to do. And easier said than done in a lot of ways with a big group of people, but we're getting there. Yeah, I think uh, it's not just a mindset, it's a virtue, right? Mm -hmm. I think people are afraid to say that preparedness is a virtue or readiness is a virtue, but once you experience being called to some type of problem, like, hey, that guy, Austin, he can get it done. Call Austin, he's got something on him, I guarantee it. And you realize, wow, you can help people, you can help yourself. It's hard to say that you wanna go the opposite direction. If anything, you wanna strengthen yourself more than your current level of readiness or or preparedness. So it's a virtue, right? And I think everyone at our company, we all try to live by that virtue. And, and, uh, you know, that virtue for those listening, it doesn't have to be right from zero to Mike Glover or zero to, you know, Austin Lester. It can be you starting off with, Let's see what I have in my pockets right now. Absolutely. Dump your pockets, right? Yeah. Do you have something to make a fire? Do you have something that you can use to cut, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Swiss Army knife and a lighter mm-hmm. or a Swiss Army knife and a ferro rod. You guys know if you follow me, if I leave the house without that, I feel like I'm naked. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and you I start, mean, yeah, you go ahead. You start with the small things. It's like it, you hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, because it, like, let's not focus on this epic journey that you want to take in your van again to drive all the way down to South America, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's start with what you got in your pockets and what I need to get myself back and forth to work. You know, I can I can cover that. It's manageable. Okay, I need these few things. I need to make sure that I have a spare tire in my car, like you were yeah. saying. I need to make sure I have some basic tools, maybe a couple road flares. Uh, I need to make sure that I have self, uh, cell phone charging cable for my ve- in my vehicle. I need all these little things, and let's talk about that, and then let's expand across that. Because wh- when I teach land navigation, I have a lot of guys that'll come in and then they'll take the class and be like, dang, dude, this was great. Like, I feel really like uh, prepared now that I can go out and navigate. And I'm like, okay, and that's good. But I want you to not start on this seven day elk hunt that Mm -hmm. you have coming up. Let's go and go out to the state park and practice those skills. So that way, if I get turned around, I can say, oh, there's the trail and, and fix myself. Because if you start small and you do these little things, the mistakes that could be made in first learning something won't be detrimental to you. They're, they're not going to be life altering or life changing or life ending mistakes. They're just going to be inconveniences. So now if I'm on my way to work and my phone dies, that should be my goal. Like, can I drive from my house to work and home on one battery charge? If not, do I have something to charge it? And then when my phone's dead on the way home from work, I'm saying, dang, you know, this is a great example of if I was doing X, how I wouldn't be able to get communications right now. So I need to facilitate that 
and say, okay, that's a little goal versus now I'm 50 miles in the back country and my phone's dead or my equipment doesn't work or I forgot my Garmin inReach or whatever. These little incremental changes in your life grow to bigger and bigger and bigger things that now you're more prepared. Let's talk about that phone. A lot of people only talk about how much battery power their phone has. Something that we do on courses, and this is something that all the listeners can apply to say vacation planning or uh, commuting planning. How much service, how many bars do you have in a given area, right? Uh, We use one particular training venue where certain mobile carriers, perfect service. You can get through, uh, you have full, full bars and other mobile devices, mobile services, there's absolutely no service whatsoever, Mm -hmm. right? So you can even ask yourself, uh, does my phone have a charge? Does my phone have have service, right? Mm -hmm. And then if it does have service, how much service does it have? Um, These are all things that, I mean, ultimately it comes down to awareness. Like how well do you know your gear? Um, And that goes back to that press check. Um, And and like I said, I was just thinking about this. I was in the bathroom and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, while I'm, you know, on the porcelain throne, I was like, what can we talk about today? And I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about this. That's great, man. And another thing with the, with that concept is redundancy and Mm -hmm. you know, something I like, uh, something I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it, but you know, if I go into the back country or if I go anywhere with one piece of gear with no redundancy, then I'm okay accepting that I don't need that. Yeah. So that's how I look at gear that goes in my SAR bag. That's how I go gear that I go that goes into my hunting pack or my backpacking pack, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I only carry one, then I'm accepting that I don't have to have it. So if I carry one knife, I'm going to carry two. You know, and with me, I usually have three or four cutting tools. Um, if I carry one magazine, I'm probably going to carry two. If I'm going to carry um, one communication device, mm-hmm. I'm definitely carrying two. So I have a cell phone, I have an inReach, and I have a Garmin Spot. My inReach has service through search and rescue. My spot is my personal spot, you know, and as much as I trust this county and trust all the guys that I work with, all it takes is one number punch different when someone entered that thing and it might not work the way that I need it to work. Right. I have one that I set up that I'm in control of and that, that just gives me that warm and fuzzy for me personally. I've never needed them, but I have it if I do. Yeah. You, you need it here in meow. Yeah. Right meow. (laughs) Right, right meow. Um, so, uh, So let's see what we, we've talked about different pillars of preparedness uh, without calling them pillars of preparedness. We're talking about mobility. We're talking about uh, your EDC. EDC we're, we're talking about um, mindset. Yep, okay. Absolutely. One thing that we haven't talked about is what do you press check in your house? Mm. Like what's something that you check regularly? Cause I will tell you what mine is. Yeah. That I check regularly. I check all my doors and windows pretty yep. regularly. Um, I check Oddly enough, and this is only because I was a firefighter paramedic before, um, I checked the batteries in my smoke detector, which mm-hmm. seems like I rehearsed that for this podcast and I didn't. That's something I actually check. Um, and I, let's see, what else do I check? Oh, I, so I run off, we run off of gas, which I didn't grow up uh, mm-hmm. with gas in my house when I, as a kid. So that's a new one for me, uh, running off of propane and gas, a gas system. So I always check, I'm like super paranoid about it. Anytime I smell the oven or something kicks on, I'm like, oh, is that gas? Do I need to turn it off? So uh, I think I'm pretty aware to it, but I can see where that would be 
problematic for people that have had it their whole life because you start to not pay attention to it. So that's one of the other ones. Yeah, I, ch I check the doors and windows religiously at night. Uh, the reason being is, you know, when my dad grew up, he was in the Philippines, war-torn country. Mm. My grandfather back in the day had two holes that he drilled into the walls and strategic points in the house. And he's like, one is for my pistol or rifle, the other is for my eyes. And he, I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way. Filipinos that grew up after World War II are straight up gangster. Yeah. Uh, and and my dad to this day, my dad's 82. Every night he'll check under every bed. He'll check under, uh, uh, check in the closets because he's, that's just him. Um, something that I, I always look at in my house is do I leave things out, right? Like, yeah. like what's left out? Um, always check the stove. I'm super mm -hmm. paranoid about the stove because, yeah. I mean, that type of thing can, can kill you overnight. Mm -hmm. um, but going outside the house, I have nieces and I am... I am the guy that if someone hurts my niece, you will see me on the nightly news. Um, or maybe you won't see me. Um, but in any case, I'm telling you that I am super, super vigilant about knowing, right, who is in my neighborhood that could potentially hurt my nieces. Now, granted, if you've never committed a crime, you're not going to be on any registry. But <clears throat> that's something that I, I have to just recognize and, and take steps to to prevent those people from getting access to my nieces. But I want to know if someone has committed a crime, where do they live in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and what do their faces look like? So you can go online and look up the registry and see, okay, who here has assaulted uh, or is on the, the sex offender list? Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, but that's so wrong. You shouldn't be uh, calling out these people. It's like... Um, that wasn't my choice. Yeah. yeah. Who's the victim here? Who yeah. could be a victim here? And I want to put as much distance and I want to have as much understanding. And listen, I'm not telling you to go out and put signs up in the front lawn like this person yeah. was a sex offender, but you should at least have that awareness and that understanding because it creates that buffer. And I believe that if you create a buffer, if you have an understanding of your community, then you're going to create this, this real, real blanket of security that's going to uh, keep the ones that you love protected. So definitely do that press check essentially go online look up your neighborhood and see where those people live yeah agreed and you know your your local police department fire department there's some of that information you can get from them as far as um, areas that have higher crime areas that have lower crime like that's one of the things I looked at when I moved to Heber City right <clears throat> I didn't know anything about didn't know Heber City existed before we started looking at here and I mm -hmm. drove through here with Mike and Kevin and uh, I looked at it and I mean Luckily, there's next to no crime here other than like very petty crime of opportunity. Armed society is a polite society. Absolutely. That's a very, very good statement. And um, but there's a little bit of crime of opportunity here with some theft and construction sites and things like that. But there's next to no violent crime here and there's next to no like um, sexual based crime. So it's it's one of those things for me that kind of gave me the warm and fuzzy to know that this area is patrolled the way it is. And luckily I'm, I have a little bit of an in with the sheriff's department mm -hmm. since I work for them. And, um, I, I get to hear about all the things that are happening and I can tell you firsthand here that it's, it's next to nothing serious. Occasionally there's a, there's a thing or two, but very rarely there's anything, you know, worth even talking about. So it's definitely something, and even a, something as silly as a neighborhood watch, everybody mm -hmm. drives past a, a sign, and we all have the neighborhood Karens that like to pop out and tell you to stay on the sidewalk and do all those types of things. But there's a place for that. And I, I truly believe that that's part of being a community of people is looking out for each other and taking care of each other. Like, when's the last time you talk to your neighbors? Because you want to build that rapport. You want to build that relationship. Because I, I know the lady that lives next to me. I know her pretty well. I know her family lives in my neighborhood. Uh, 
and I know she's a really sweet lady and she loves to grow all her plants and she talks to me about them all the time. And, but I like that rapport because she's come up to me before and she said, Hey, oddly enough, someone like was up on your porch earlier around this time. And I just, I didn't recognize him. So I just wanted to let you know. And turns out it was a uh, guy on a weekend and he was a, a Amazon delivery driver and he was in civilian clothes. He didn't have a uniform on. seemed a little weird to me, but I looked back on my camera and it, it was, a, he got out of an official vehicle. She probably just didn't notice, but I appreciate that. Right. So I, I look out for her stuff too, especially when she's gone. She lets me know when she's going to be out of town and same with the neighbor on the other side of me. Right. So I, those relationships are really important to have and to build and to constantly have that. And I mean, I'm lucky. I do have really good neighbors. Mm-hmm. I know not everybody <clears throat> has that, that luck, but try to build that relationship because one, if they even are a crummy neighbor and you can build that relationship, they can probably become a lot less crummy of a neighbor. But two, um, doesn't matter what your personal, what you gain personally from it, other than the security of knowing they're at least looking over my stuff. Yeah. The, <clears throat> unfortunately, I don't have the same relationship with my neighbors. Uh, the neighbor that makes the most interaction with me is a freaking cat. His cat, name's, cat name is Misha. And it pretty much has, uh, it, Misha has pretty much, you know, taken me in as like hers. <laughs> and I swear to God, last night I got in at one o'clock in the morning, Misha was at my garage door awesome. and she's like, play with me. And then another thing was, is that, uh, you know, she was there this morning. So I'm thinking about even putting my business card around Misha's collar with a note <laughs> telling people like, Hey, by the way, I'm your neighbor. Your cat yeah. loves me. I, we need to talk you know, yeah. that type of thing. But here's one last thing. I know we're running a little bit long on this. Um, everyone should be aware of the police response time and emergency services response time mm-hmm. in your community. So Absolutely. that's yeah. Another thing you can look up nationwide standard is around eight minutes, but there are some places where you have a handful of police officers or emergency personnel dealing with a population that's so large. So if there is a, a uh, an event or multiple events that strain that police uh, force or that emergency response team, it might be even longer than that Absolutely. nationwide average. So uh, again, guys, you you should just be aware of your gear, the people around you, your physical limitations. Uh, you should be aware of you know threats in the neighborhood. You should be aware of the status of your vehicle. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you're a firearms person and you value the idea and the practice of a press check, there's no reason you can't apply that press check to the other aspects of your life. Because remember, press checks are free. Yeah. So guys, thanks for uh, for listening to this one. This is a important topic for one, all these topics were, but also Kevin and I talked about doing these podcasts a week ago. And I think we're going to start trying to make this a more regular thing where we hop on here and talk about just survival stuff. So if you have ideas uh, for things you want to hear discussed potentially between Kevin and I and that survival realm, uh, DM one of us on uh, either the Fieldcraft homepage or hit us up on Instagram. Uh, what's your, yours is uh, Estella, Estella Wild Ed, short for my old company, Estella Wilderness Education. Awesome. Or you can hit me up on Instagram at Savage Luster. Savage. Uh, Savage, yeah. So there's a story there. We'll talk about that some other time. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you got something out of it, and we'll catch you on the next one.